Hello, you're listening to the Culture We Speak podcast with your host, Deanna Latimer-Hearn. For this episode, I sat down with Dr. Karen Davis of Middle Tennessee State University to discuss microaggressions and our experience at the 2022 convention of the National Black Association for Speech, Language, and Hearing, or in Basla for short. From the flavorful foods we eat to the rhythm of the beats we keep, our hair and clothes define what it means to be sheep. For centuries, onlookers have been captivated by our mystique and every aspect of our being that makes us unique. This is the culture we speak. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Karen Davis, who is an associate professor at Middle Tennessee State University. She has worked for over 15 years as a school speech language pathologist. Her research interests are centered in the domain of language and literacy for struggling learners. Dr. Davis's research interests include language and literacy disorder in culturally and linguistically diverse populations, reading comprehension intervention, interprofessional education and practice, and cultural responsiveness in CSD or communication sciences and disorders education. Welcome to The Culture We Speak. Thank you. Thank you. So happy to be here and thank you for having me. Yes. So I'm just going to put it out there. This is 2.0 because (laughs) we had some, we had some sound issues, family. Um, So we are doing this again because it was worth it, I guess. (laughs) Yes. Yes. We had too much fun the last time. I know, right? You know, we just had to do it again. (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) So Dr. Davis and I, uh, we met when we did a presentation together with Dr. Yolanda Holt. Um, kind of unofficially online met right, yes. at that point in time. And then we officially met at the Mbosla Convention in Houston, yes, which was a blast. And I learned that you are about as wild as I am. So <laughs> <laughs> fun times. We had too Enjoyable. much <laughs> Exactly. But at Mbosla, you were presenting on microaggressions. Yes. Um, and so I wanted to have you on as a guest in order to talk about that a little bit so that we can raise awareness about what microaggressions are how they operate, et cetera. So I'm going to just start you off there. What are microaggressions and why (laughs) do they occur? All right. Yes. Well, you know, again, um, I think that with the past events have been going on just, um, you know, in light of COVID and then just the injustice that we saw, uh, I think our profession has really been talking a lot about our experiences in the field, in higher ed, and microaggression has been the hot topic, and um, is actually a term that was coined in 78 by um, Dr. Chester Pierce in the context of racial aggression. And so he described it as like subtle, often automatic, verbal, nonverbal put-downs that after a while you keep experiencing this and you hear it over and over again, it begins to weigh on your psyche. (laughs) It really does begin to impact you physically as well. And so at that time, again, focus mainly on racial aggression, but I think in light of where we are today, that definition has expanded to other isms and phobias. So we're talking about insults, whether it's overt, a little bit more covert as it relates to ableism, classism, genderism, you're thinking about transphobia, homophobia, religion. So we are dealing with a lot more now. And so definitely individuals that may fit in that group absolutely can experience these insults. Dr. Daryl Sue is another scholar that has been more the forefront in studying microaggressions. And he actually talks a lot about how microaggression affects individuals and how it impacts us systemically. 
And so now he's even working on research or talking more so about micro interventions. What can we do about this? And so it is something that many students have reported experiencing. I know I have, and definitely faculty of color have experienced that, but even in the workplace. I've even talked with clinicians, (laughs) with supervisors, and even just with their clients, they're experiencing microaggressions. If we look at what is going on in our profession in terms of the demographics and how we are primarily white and primarily female, that also plays out in the programs that we're in. We have these sort of microaggressions that are built into some of our programs and some of the expectations we have on what a therapist looks like, who a therapist can be. So as you said, it comes from clients, um, it can come from peers and colleagues, et cetera. I know that they're broken down into three different categories within microaggressions. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So typically for if listeners that are on here, if, they, if they've attended any conferences, they probably have heard these three. So we often talk about micro insults, micro invalidations, and micro assaults. And so with micro insults, which is kind of the more common one, I think this is the one that many of us is kind of like, did that just happen? You know, what was that? And <laughs> we have the process, but it is more so like verbal, nonverbal, interpersonal exchanges that convey stereotypes oftentimes. Mm-hmm. So it might be where somebody jokes you about your accent or it's, hmm, you don't sound like you're from this place or you're very smart for a girl or things like that. So I'm surprised that you would be comfortable doing this based on your religion. And it might be, again, something that's jokingly or just something that's stated passively and they move on. I've even experienced this when uh, a colleague of mine, we were looking at sessions for CAPS and we were trying to, we were planning to go to CAPS if the things happened, we weren't able to go. But as we were going through the sessions, there were a lot of sessions dealing with DEI. And so it was, okay, see, it's all this stuff. And then after a while, that language changed to, okay, well, here's a good one. Here's a good session. And all the good sessions were sessions that were not DEI. (laughs) And so at that moment, I'm just kind of like, well, I think this is a great session. And, you know, I could talk a little bit later about, again, even me experiencing that, how I should have responded or what I chose to do at that time. But those are the things that we have to address. But those are those micro insults that occur. And bless her heart, I, at that moment, she truly did not realize what she was saying. And so it's my job to bring it to her attention. But um, with micro invalidations, it's more so when you are, again, invalidating somebody's experience. This is the whole, I don't see color the colorblindness, or, you know, we're all women together. So it's it's not that, but it's it's, it's more so this, or they try to really water down what your experience is. And so those are those moments where you may share, you know, this really rubbed me the wrong way. And it's like, oh, no, you're being too sensitive. No, Mm -hmm. that that didn't really happen. And, you know, but, you know, we as women, we all experience X, Y, and Z. It's like, no, no, it's not. (laughs) And that can be very damaging because you start to question yourself in the process of dealing with these sort of acts or, or experiences. And it's like, well, wait, am I being too sensitive or am I right. overreacting? Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's the, and that's really that when we, when we talk about microaggressions, because that was the other thing too, when I was at ASHA and I think that there was uh, a scholar that I was presenting with, or no, my colleague was presenting with this particular scholar. And he indicated like he hated the term microaggression because it's not micro, it's not micro, it's, it's horrible. And, but to the point you just indicated the whole process of, I've got to think about first, okay, am I being sensitive? Did I hear that? What did this person mean? How shall I respond? It really becomes this process that can be quite exhausting. So it's not something that we immediately react all the time because I have to kind of think first, like, wait a minute, 
what is happening here? And you're thinking about who you're dealing with, what are the consequences of my response or how I may, what I say or do. Um, it is, it, it really is a process that after a while just eats away. That's what makes it kind of micro because it's just not always clear cut. And you're mm-hmm. kind of thinking like, am I losing my mind here? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think that's, that's a lot of times the question because you're like, you're replaying it in your head. Did that just happen that way? Right. But yeah, it did. And by that time, there's no response. You know, the the latency of your response now prevents you from being able to really engage in some cases, which then adds to yes, this sense of I just, you know, felt this harm. I just experienced harm. I just, you know, was put down in some way, but I now can't really engage in this response that I would like to give. Right. The moment has passed, but doggone it, this just happened. Is you that- know? <laughs> And it and that when that keeps happening and that is your experience, you know, navigating many different spaces, it just compounds. Like you just keep experiencing the same Absolutely. thing. The third one um, is micro assaults, and this is pretty overt. It is more so where uh, the microaggressor absolutely is trying to attack a group or that in individual's identity, and um, is more deliberate. It really is. But I think what um, Sue talks about how it may be defined as kind of a micro is that it's kind of more of a subtle thing. Well, a coward move. So an example would be like if you and I have uh, at a restaurant and we come out to our car and then there's a swastika painted on it. That person has done it, ran off, but they wanted to make sure to let us know we don't like you or or we want to intimidate you. Um, But even there's been instances, and I think about an experience I did have in grad school where, again, a classmate of mine that I got along with, and we pretty much are cool, but we were having a discussion about the whole issue of Black History Month. And I I wrote about this um, in an article for M. Bosler's journal about my experience with microaggression. And and I talked about how we were in class and the, the topic came up. It was February. And mm-hmm. so she was like, well, I don't see the purpose of Black History Month. We don't need it anymore. I just, it's just no need for this. And Bill Cosby said we didn't need Black History Month. So, so is so. Oh. And this is before our recent <laughs> events. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he was still kind of America's dad and, you know, in good standing a little bit. He kind of had his rants here and there. But at that point, I was like, well, we're not monolithic. But for you to think that because this is a Black uh, individual that you like and enjoy and decide that well this has to be the person that speaks for an entire race is yeah. insane but it's just like okay but you're okay with women's history you talked about how you wanted to share mm-hmm. about your mother and grandmother and great-grandmother what they did in the in the wars but there's no need for black history and even her tone so it's kind of yeah. like you had a point to make by stating that to me and then yes. to go on and indicate so that wasn't in in no invalidation there was no insult that was more so you had a purpose there was an intent with this assault and then you try to follow up with well let me tell you why Karen Justify because it. this black man yeah don't black. don't toss the token at us when <laughs> you you know that I, that happens so much and especially yes. in a lot of political discussions um that I see all over the place you know, they will tokenize someone and say, oh, well, this person said it and they're black. So therefore, you know, therefore like, I don't know them and I exactly. don't know what they're talking about <laughs> and <laughs> I have opinions about person. them. <laughs> yeah. So, Absolutely. yeah. So that's frustrating because it erases your identity. And as you said, we're not yes. monolithic. We have so many different ways of being within our group. And then it's like you want to erase it entirely and say, well, this person over here who I've chosen as your representative 
has spoken, you know, exactly. like, and, and yeah. so, and, and it is so, and, that, and that, yeah, right? you know, I think about our conversations uh, recently uh, in other topics or other areas, like we were talking about autism or, you know, there's disabilities and, and trying to act like, oh, well, it's all love. It's all the same. Like they don't have these needs. They do not want to be erased. <laughs> they, they want you to see, you know, who they are, but absolutely with some of these assaults though, you know, again, uh, you know, they shouldn't be allowed here, you know, these individuals should be placed in a self-contained space at all times. Just, you know, those type of statements that are made and people advocated for that are some of those examples for the micro assault there. Yeah. Now I'm going to mess with you for a minute because yes. I know you presented on this at in Basla. Yes. So in the morning, I think, because I missed your presentation. Yes. I think I flew in same day. And then by the afternoon, evening, you experienced yes. a microaggression in front of me. <laughs> And so I was like, so at breakfast, you were dropping knowledge on uh, microaggressions. <laughs> and then by dinner, <laughs> I mean, did you, you were being subjected to, to a microaggression. I mean, I know we laugh and, and it's funny now, but at the time, you know, it, it's not funny when stuff like this happens. Right. Um, so we were at dinner. Yes. And we were watching um, a, par- a portion of the show where people were being honored. And at the table we were seated at, someone told you to hush down because they were being honored. Yes. And so, so yes. which of the three? I know right? we had some text messaging at that point in time that we were kind of like, wait, what did that just happen this way? But which of the three would that qualify as being shushed in that manner or told to, you know, like, this is my moment. Pay attention right. To me, right. <laughs> right. You know, because um, given, you know, I think in the context of she was so proud of herself Mm -hmm. because of the work that she has been doing, championing students and diversity. should be honored. Yeah, she's been honored. And then she should be. So I think I might might throw that in the insult (laughs) slash assault because I was like, oh my gosh, she actually shushed me. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, wait, what? I was just shocked that this went down. Yeah, and we were totally taken aback like, Okay. Yeah. And, and it's like, cause, it was, cause you're right. It was like, you must hear my name and I'm yeah. being honored because it was uh, again, her attitude of, you see what I'm doing for you all. You see, yeah. um, yeah. I'm being honored self-centering. here. Yes. It was their self-centering. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So yes. So I think I, I could probably put that. I think I would do insult slash assault a little bit because it literally you shushed me yeah. <laughs> and I was cheering everyone on. <laughs> everyone like I think we were in a pretty you know warm and accepting environment yes. and no one was detracting from anyone's moment at all um but I think that it just came off very harsh in that yes. moment, like very inappropriate and so I was kind of thinking about this and like dang she presented on this and then she turned around and like I, you know and experienced it absolutely and that's wild it, it really is and I think and and I love that example because that's something I taught with many of my colleagues about, and I'm very honest about my experiences and how I am constantly working on, I have to do better about really responding and really micro-challenging, challenging on the spot. But I think at that moment, it was sort of like, wait a minute, what just happened? I mean, and, because I should have interrupted as well, <laughs> but I was like, is that just... <laughs> and we're at this nice banquet and you're thinking like, yeah. do I go there now at this point? Or you know, yeah. will she break down? And, you know, I yeah. can't really be concerned about that. But at the same time, you know, you're thinking about all these things, but it was, it wasn't that moment like, what just happened here? Wow. Yeah. It's just me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like yeah. moments later, um, you were assigned a family member at the table too, which. <laughs> that, yes. 
was then fascinating as well. Lovely young lady. <laughs> Looks nothing like me, but it was the I'll assumption made. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, assumption made that she was my daughter. Yes. Yeah. So it's things like that, that I think people don't recognize are so commonplace that they're just happening at all times around us. Um, And then it's like the response that you give when you do finally respond in time, you know, when you give that micro challenge and you say, hey, not here and not today, then it becomes, well, you know, that's an overreaction or that's too sensitive or that's, you know, so then you get the invalidation that comes with it because you have had compounding experiences of all this microaggression and suddenly now, you know, you respond. Yeah. And now it's like, oh, that's just, that's too much. Well, no, it's not. It's really not because we're going through this all day, every day. Every day. And I think what our next step needs to be, because as we were presenting, you know, we we were defining and talking about microaggressions, but I think what made our presentation unique was, um, and I say our, because Dr. Kimberly Harrell was my co-presenter, but because she talked more about the mentoring piece, but I I did most of the um, microaggression intervention. And so we were talking about the what to do. That's where Mm -hmm. um, sessions and programming needs to focus because now it's where um, students are saying, yes, I actually have experienced this. I've said something and there has been this backlash. You know, I am feeling attacked. Uh, My grades have suffered. I noticed a change in my relationship with my professor or my supervisor, and now I don't know what to do. And so we need to start having these real conversations with supervisors, faculty, directors, like, okay, real talk, you're doing this and you need to fix it. And this is how we're going to do this. And you need to own it and stop trying to say, oh, I want to be here. I want to understand. I know what microaggressions are. I'm going to do my best. But no, let's really have a serious talk about what you're doing. How would you handle this? How will you respond if a student or a colleague says this to you? And yeah. um, and I, I don't think we have really moved into those type of sessions just yet. The power dynamic makes it very challenging. So even in my doctoral program, I had an experience where someone decided to use some slurs as an example and, you know, included a couple different types of slurs because I guess we're going to be inclusive in this right. offensive right. activity, right? Right. And so even though I'm established in my career, et cetera, you know, even at this point prior to having my doctorate, I'm still in the position of there's a power differential here. You know, I need to finish this program. I need to right. get my degree without all the extra stuff that we're already doing anyhow, right. you know? And so it becomes challenging to then speak up and to challenge that situation. Though I know that's the right thing to do, though I know this is the work I'm preparing to do because I'm into, you know, I push for equity. I'm always, you know, trying right. to push for anti-racism, et cetera, inclusion for different groups. But, you know, even in that moment of this person spouting a couple of different slurs, which, you know, under no situation would that be appropriate anywhere, but in educational context, even less, it's still challenging. And so I can imagine that for individuals who haven't gotten their degree, who haven't necessarily gotten their license completed. Right. They don't have their I'm like, certification. I'm an academic or, trying to get promoted, you know. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so I was like, okay, do I let this slide, you yeah. know. <laughs> right. And that's that's hard too because the more that we're dealing with that, that's the more we're we're challenged. So you get into these sort of stereotype threats where if I answer in certain contexts also, am I going to be the angry black woman or whatever right. other stereotype is out there? So there's so many 
like nuances to this and so many things that kind of play into how we manage and how we navigate this. So I'm with you. I think educating students and faculty on this would be huge because somewhere we have to level the playing field a little bit for students who are forced into these spaces. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. As we talk about I'm in it or the majority population being the allies, I mean, really recognizing it because I, I did share how my program chair, she'd even said to me, like, it was something we were talking about and she had kind of alluded like, oh, you know, we were, so I think we're talking about like, you know, personal trainers or, you know, like I got to get fed. And she's like, oh, well, I have this personal trainer. He's black and, you know, you'll love him. And, <laughs> and at a moment I was like, okay. <laughs> and, doesn't really matter to me. Just can you help me get his weight off? And the <laughs> next day, though, she recognized, she said, Karen, I realized when I got home, I realized, why did I share with her that my personal trainer was black? It doesn't matter. And so she was very apologetic. She said, Karen, you need to be sure to call me out on this. So it was just like wonderful to see someone say, you know what? I reflected. I realized that what I said was not okay. Don't let me slide with that. She said, I know your personality. Yeah. You don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. But I want to do better. I and I need someone to bring it to my attention so I can fix this. And so having someone that desires to do that, and even when we're in meetings, she's picking up like, no, okay, now Karen shared this, but don't go to her like she has to be the you know the gatekeeper of all things dealing with people of color because that's not her job. And she's been that person there protected because sure enough, my other colleagues don't get that they it hasn't registered. And so yeah. I think um, really having more conversations or at least trying to create more allies like that. But it goes back to your point of when you think about, again, your environment and those that are willing. And, you know, that's the thing with these conferences. Those that want to know will come for the most part. Those that need it, half the time, they're not the ones. They don't, they're, yeah. not they need it. they're not the ones, uh-uh. honestly. <laughs> they're the ones at, at dinner. They're not the ones at the breakfast meal. Exactly. <laughs> and, right. <laughs> So I need my leaders to, to get these people that I met at dinner, really. <laughs> yeah, right. I, no, I'm with you. That willingness is huge. Yes. That cultural humility, that understanding that, hey, I made a mistake. I'm human and I can come yes. back from this. I can learn from this um, rather than feeling attacked. Because I think a lot of the response I get, because I'm pretty, pretty blunt. So I yeah. come back kind of quick sometimes Wait, yeah. of people. And then they're like, oh, you know, I get more so offense. Like people are offended. Yes. by the fact that I called it out instead of, you know, receptive right. to this idea. And some of that is in delivery. And some of that delivery is very much designed by Deanna right, and right. brought to you, you know, <laughs> in limited I, edition. <laughs> it, just, it has to be that way. I mean, you know, when I talk about, and you know, like we talk about these microaggressions, I can't sit here and say that I hadn't done that or invalidated somebody's experience. Absolutely. And they're like, you know, Dr. Davidson, you said this. Um, that kind of hurt my feeling or like, I felt like you kind of downplayed what I was trying to share. And I was like, oh God, let me think on this. You know what? Thanks for bringing that, that, that to my attention. Yeah. If it's absolutely valid, but I was open to listen before I decided to react. But you're right. It's yeah. the issue of them receiving it and how they're going to receive that and respond to it. Yes. Part of that is who they're receiving it from. from. Part of that issue. Is, yes. I'm not interested in what the sender has to say. And so therefore, you know, it's just more of the invalidation. It's more of the, well, you know, you're overreacting. You shouldn't have said this. You shouldn't have said that. But it's when I bring the energy that you brought back to you. Exactly. Exactly. That's what it is. I don't know. You know, at times I I can definitely say there have been times where I'll tone it down or I'll approach in in a polite way. I will engage with someone and really take them to the side and say, hey, you know, this this needs to go a different way. Yeah. But 
sometimes you catch what you catch. And, right. I, you know, and I'm not trying to be mean. No, <laughs> no. And I think that's the thing. And that's when we talk about, you know, learning how to micro, how to challenge it. So the micro challenge, how to challenge. And I think that's what uh, many people that were able to attend that session that morning talked about. Well, my personality, I'm very direct. Someone else said, well, I'm not as direct and I, I, I don't like conflict, so it's not as easy for me. But we have to learn how to really speak up and get out of the comfort zone. So I do agree. I think for some people, it will be much easier because like, no, I'm not here yeah. for any of this. <laughs> Whereas, you know, I'm kind of, it, well, it, it depends on when you catch me. Because that's where my sister yeah. told me like, don't let the smile fool you when, when you really hit me. I will come and that's it. And it's sort of like the Hulk smash. I'm done, you know? Yeah. And <laughs> but, it depends but, on the type of thing, also, yes, how triggering absolutely. it is when these things happen. But I think um, in our profession, there's just a lot of this. And I've seen it, you yeah. know, from in my grad school 1.0, as I call it, um, I experienced where a professor told me that my name was spelled incorrectly. You know, she wasn't going to pronounce it the way that, that I said it was pronounced. You know, right. she decided... No, it's spelled incorrectly. Well, like, how, how do you figure that right. I'm, you know, that my parents spelled my name wrong? Right. right. <laughs> like, how do you have the authority to state exactly. this and then to continue calling it incorrectly on right. purpose to make a point? Right. You know, it's that sort of thing yeah. is also, you know, that's, that's, that's happening in our programs. <laughs> yes. Exactly. And it's happening in our programs. But then we're saying, well, we want to diversify and we want to make our programs more you know, inclusive of other groups, et cetera, and have more representation from other groups. So how can you do that if your programs are structured in such a way that these things go unchecked and are permitted and Absolutely. are even celebrated at times? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is, like, I think, one of the questions um, that you had, um, I think, mentioned before was, like, right, how does, it, does this impact our program? And it does. It, and when you think about relationships, between faculty and students, between clinicians and supervisors. Absolutely. And you're right. We, we have these programs where we're, well, we attempt to recruit, recruit, recruit. We'll have grants, we have scholarships, all this stuff for accreditation. We have this, you know, diversity here, but we are not looking at what is happening to make sure that our students are excelling, that they feel welcome, that they even like the profession or feel that they can actually become a great speech language pathologist and or audiologist. Because to your point, someone's telling you that your name is spelled incorrectly, or they're creating rubrics that or exit exams or some type of simulation where you must have this command of grammar and it must be this way exactly. And if you happen to present some dialectal feature, we're marking you off, those things. And so there have been students telling me how supervisors told them the way you speak, you might want to consider something else. So you're going to have to work on that if you're going to go out and get a job in a hospital setting or this setting. And but meanwhile, we're insane. treating people who speak the way that they yeah, do. Exactly. So, you know, <laughs> right. But we like can erase really? all that. Right. Pretend that that didn't exist. Exactly. Yeah. I, I also got it um, in grad, grad school 2.0. <laughs> I had it in um, an experience where I did a presentation and afterwards the two professors, uh, two white professors were like, this one gets it, you know? And I was kind of like, you right. know, like this one, this one, what ma'am, you know, like how did this, yes. what are we talking about here? Right. Like, what exactly right. You're did the she good get? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, you know, so now I get to be the token one or, yes. you know, what is it exactly that? I'm quote unquote getting. getting. Yes. And, you know, so it's stuff like that that just really makes you step back and think, okay, this is, this is some right. both. But 
right. again, how do we engage? And so I think that, that those things, when they're happening in CSD programs in particular, we are limiting that diversity that we're claiming we're actually seeking. So you mentioned already African-American English, a little bit of dialectal difference and all of that. When did you realize that your culture or the way you communicate was not quote unquote mainstream? You know, actually in grad school, and it was <laughs> my uh, department chair, black audiologist. I walked into the office and I needed to ask a question, oh. but I said, ask. I kept saying, I need to ask, I said, is doc, you know, Dr. So-and-so in? And um, I need to ask him a question, ask him a question. And he happened to come out and all of a sudden, like the secretary was like, oh, oh. And he was like, you need to do what? You need to do what? And I was like, I need to ask a question. What? And he just like he couldn't hear. And I mean, I'm literally oblivious. I'm sort of like, what is going on? And then he's like, oh, so you want to chop me? And I was like, what? Or do you want to (laughs) ask? So I was like, yes, I need to ask a question. Oh my gosh. And I think at that moment, and you know, with Kihi laughing again, whatever, but here I am little student, but I, I just never get going back to, you know, making it back to my dorm. And it's like, I just felt so defeated that day. Like, what was that? Because for me, you know, come from my little hometown of Oxford, we were always deemed as articulate little girls, you know, smart girls, whatever. And, you know, hard workers, good students. So I'm just kind of like, you know, I was made to feel like I was incompetent or just something was wrong mm-hmm. with me. Right. And so at that point, I was like, oh, OK, I totally speak different. <laughs> and then yeah. even in my um, doc program, that was something that I felt I was always being dinged on. I mean, there were rubrics that we were given after we presented in class and it was watch your this. And I mean, and watch your that it could be the, I can understand like ums and fillers, but I do have to watch that. I do know that's something that I do, but be careful of your ings and this and that. And you're just kind of like, really? <laughs> that's what you got out of my presentation. All right. Out of all of that. <laughs> okay. And I always tell my students, so now when I'm having to present, it's really trying to practice that script. Or um, if I'm presenting with someone, they could tell you it's like, Karen's in the room the night before going nowhere, practicing, practicing, where they're out and about relaxing. I'm like, because no one's going to ding me on me saying something incorrectly or pronouncing a word wrong. Because it, it seems like I can hear anybody else do it. But for but for some reason, if Karen Davis does it, someone feels the need to bring to my attention or I just did yeah. the ultimate sin. So I'm just so aware of it now. <laughs> yeah, but see, but that's so much extra work, though. It's yes. so much of a burden to do all of this extra stuff that we do to avoid the potential episode of whatever thing has happened. And so I think that's one of the things that we have to remember is that when these occur, when these microaggressions occur, you carry that with you. It doesn't just happen on, you know, it was Tuesday and it happened and I'm done, you know, now it's a whole nother day. No, it, it's still with you at times. You know, there are certain ones that you carry with you from then on and that are very challenging to overcome because it was such a hurtful or, or the place you were in at the time you were right. vulnerable and it, and it hits you. Right. Absolutely. Um, so that, that is one way that I think something such as your title, you know, you're a doctor, right? You have yes. A PhD, but that type of thing can be chipped away at because of this, this position. And I'm saying that because that's my experience as well. You know, I've right. walked into spaces and felt like, well, maybe I don't measure up because so-and-so said, or I had this experience or in this grad school program, they did yes. that. And so that's where they become extremely harmful. And Absolutely. Absolutely. What about when you're navigating different systems on your own, like just out in life and you experience those microaggressions? How do you handle that? 
I feel like that I am much more vocal. <laughs> and like you said, really handle, you know, I challenge right then and there. And it may be because it's, I don't know who this person is. I don't have any connection, but it's just like, okay, no, that wasn't appropriate. No, that's, that's not okay. Or I'm really going back and forth and like, you know, really indicating or, or highlighting that was inappropriate. Let me tell you why. But I will say, I think, you know, of course, when I was living in Atlanta, other places like that, I don't think I feel like I experienced it or I guess recognize it as much as I do when I'm in the workforce or when I'm in academia or just, you know, again, in my field as a clinician working with clients where this really becomes more prevalent. But yes, for my day to day, I find that um, I address it and, I, you know, I'm talking about the topic more. I think just, you know, with family, friends about it, having these real discussions, um, even with, you know, my, my white friends, Asian friends, what have you, you know, really having those real conversations because we're just kind of not in a formal setting at this point. But I am more adamant about how I challenge when it does occur. You know, even for me, particularly with my children, when it happens, it becomes extremely problematic for me. Yes. Um, just yes. recently, uh, my, my son wanted to purchase a yearbook. He hadn't ordered one. So, you know, we recognized he might not get one. We, he went, he asked about it. They said it was going to be $75. Not a problem, yeah. but I prefer not to send my child to school with $80 in his pocket to right. purchase a yearbook, you know? Right. <laughs> so I asked him to ask, would it be okay to just write a check, you know, send a check to the school? And the lady, for whatever reason, said, no, she can't take checks because they might bounce, you know? And it was like, well, well hold on a second here. You know, like what exactly is that supposed to mean? You know, like, I know what you're trying to say, but right. do you know what you're saying? Do you recognize this? And so what I did is I ended up calling the school and talking to them and saying, this is not actually a district policy. So why in this situation right. is this the response? And at that time I got the invalidation, you know, the person who called me back was like, well, you know what she may have meant to say. And I was like, you know, I'm going to stop you right there. And, and right. <laughs> you, out. Right. you know what she meant to say. I know exactly. what she meant to say. And you know why she felt it was okay to say that. Right. And, and that's really where we are. We're not at, maybe you can explain this away because there's yes. no context in which that would be an appropriate response. Yes. Especially when this is not a policy. And if it were a policy, the, right. the answer would be, we don't accept checks. Right. Not implying that a person doesn't have the means to write a check, right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> So it's just, it's things like that. When it happens with them, I struggle a little bit more with just being like, well, you know, dismissing it or not letting it bother me. So to speak. Right, right. When it happens with me, I, I do, I can, it could go either way at yeah. times, you know, I didn't yes. respond, but I could also live with that person's ignorant and I'm moving on today. Well, cause I think we talked last time, we even now, like right now you're aware that I'm geared to have an upcoming surgery, but I was telling you before about the process um, where I was going through various surgeons. It was the issue where one surgeon, and I hope it's not TMI, but it's more so where, you know, I'm dealing with fibroids. And so I'm, I'm over 40 and um, they send me to a fertility center for the specialist, basically. And I'm not there to talk about having kids. It's like, can you remove these fibroids, please? And do this particular procedure. But the conversation as you, uh, you know, I shared, it was the way I was talked at. It was, why don't you just go ahead and remove everything? I mean, you're too old. What's the point? You know, just be done with this. So very insensitive or the assumption was made that I already had kids. And it's like, well, you see on the case history form, I indicated that I have none. <laughs> and it was just, 
you know, all these assumptions. And then it was just these comments made about my insurance. And, and you're just like, what is happening here? That was one of those instances where I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what I read about when they talk about women of color and their health care and just how horrible this particular specialist was to me. And now the one that I'm with, absolutely amazing, very sensitive, yeah. listen, but it was really interesting, just the assumptions that were being made about me. And I think even the nurse, when she first met me, which is kind of like they're dismissive. But mm-hmm. then when she asked, just happened to ask where I worked or what I did for a living. Oh, oh, you're a professor. Yeah, now, oh, oh, okay. now we had to change gears. You're not right? like the other, right. Like you said, you're not them. But then I get yeah. to the specialist and she's like, I don't care what you are. You just, whatever. Now we're going to yeah. deal with your age and, you know, let me just let me attack you there. And it's just, it was really an experience. Yes. Struggle with it. Now, when I lived in Maryland, we had Johns Hopkins care. <laughs> yes different than what I'm seeing in yeah. Texas. <laughs> it was very different. And uh, <laughs> I'm questioning, why did we move? But um, <laughs> but I have not secured effective care here because yes. of that. And that is extremely problematic coming from a place where I felt that I had very strong care right. to a space where I'm like, none of these people care about how I'm doing, if I'm, you know, surviving, doing right. well. Um, and I mentioned before when we talked that, you know, I had ended up in the ER. I had some pain and I went to the ER to get it addressed because I didn't have a primary care that I trusted. And I also could not go immediately to some right. person. Right. Um, and the questions and the comments and the things that were said in that space, I was just like, you know, is this even happening? You know, right. um, assumptions about my healthcare, you know, well, you probably don't have healthcare. So if you end up needing an MRI, here's how you can get one that's affordable. Like, right. you know, <laughs> right. uh, did you have a question for me or did you right. just want to tell me about my life? And right. right. Oh, well, if you have health care, it's probably, you probably have a high deductible. Well, like, don't I get to pick how am I deductible? Right. <laughs> like, like, didn't I plan for that? You know, exactly. and kind of do that based on my situation. So couldn't I still use my insurance in that case? But how do you just assume? Right. And right. then go there. And, and not only that, I'm in Dallas, Fort Worth, and we live in between the two major cities. And so then it was, well, how did you get here today? Because the the place you need to go is in Fort Worth. Well, like, how did you get here today, sir? You know, right. I'm not making assumptions about how you got to work. So exactly. Right. (laughs) Right. But it's those sorts of things that keep happening that makes it hard. And then it it just gets compounded. So my son earlier this year had a surgery and even taking him to an ER, having to have him transported in an ambulance because of COVID, we couldn't ride with him. Right. Like just imagine how hard or how much more stressful that is when you already don't trust the healthcare system. Right. But now you got to let your child go. Right. By himself and hope this works right. out, you know. Right. <laughs> and exactly. we're following, we of course. Right. Yeah, we're following, but I'm like, but well, how many microaggressions? How many right. comments? Is experience how many right inappropriate now? things are happening? Yes. And yes. I'm not there to right. help or to, to oversee this. So right. I don't think people recognize the additional stress that is added to us navigating spaces and us living our fullest lives. Right. When we're forced to deal with microaggressions everywhere right. and different racist or phobias, as you mentioned, and different isms and phobias. Right. In whatever spaces. So it's it's challenging. And it doesn't matter if it's not your specific group because you're once it comes into play, you right. know, like, oh, it's this just, person yeah. has some <laughs> we got a bigot. Right. Then it's like, you know, I'm not like, oh, he just doesn't like that other group. It, right. This is a problem. <laughs> exactly. 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 Yes. Oh, yeah. That's a challenge. 
how do you teach your students or incorporate this kind of content into your program? Well, right now where I am, I do have multicultural courses I teach. So we that's one of the topics for sure that we discuss. But even before that, that was something that I know I was talking about all my classes and I kept trying to encourage my faculty members to do the same in, in, in any and also in clinic. You know, we have to have this conversation with our clinical supervisors. And also, I definitely tried to work hard, you know, speaking up or I even conducted like many workshops for my, my staff. Like say, okay, this is happening. This is how we can address this. And this is something I can't do on my own. I need you to take ownership and interest and really be vigilant about this. And when I'm given all the examples I'm not trying to downplay that, you know, the context of race, but showing them, okay, you see how this is happening here. We've got to be aware of our biases. So therefore how it may translate and how we interact with our clients, how we interact with our peers. And if we are experiencing this, we need to speak up about it. And so I know when I talk to my students, like even my students at one point will come to me because, you know, I am the only uh, Black faculty in my program. And so there have been instances where students will come and say, well, this student said this. And, you know, was that racist? Was that sexist? And I said, okay, let's talk. How should you respond? I need you to go back and do this because it's, it's this want me to come in and you know, regulate or whatever. I said, well, I wasn't there. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> this is how we're going to have to handle this. But I think that, you know, of course, what we have discussed, uh, when I think about ASHA, you know, we talk about having courses that are required in graduate programs, like, you know, your multicultural course being required and not an elective, or, you know, it's the option of where individuals incorporate the topic of multicultural issues in all your courses. But the thing that we have to understand is that I got to make sure whoever is teaching that class, what is their understanding knowledge of it? Because they'll just talk about bilingualism and say, okay, well, I did multicultural issues in speech sound disorders and that's it. Yeah. Or, you know, or deaf, hard of hearing in speech science. We're finished. Science. Right. Check the box. That's right? it. And we're yeah. done. We're done. And <laughs> um, really understanding what we mean by that. So I think really trying to create a way or tools to help professors to really think about when they are developing their courses, how do I make this culturally uh, responsive and relevant? What does that mean? Not necessarily saying I'm going to talk about all these populations and highlight what we think their beliefs and behaviors are, you know, not that. In one really, class meeting. Right, exactly. Yeah. So I think that's something that I try to do. I just know that when I was given the multicultural class, it was that it was this week we have the Hispanic population population. This week we have African-Americans. I switched all of that. So now we're going to talk about systemic racism. We're going to talk about how it's impacted our field, what it means and really more so reflecting on your experience and biases and how this translates and how you engage with same. people that are from different walks of life. <laughs> yeah. And that's really where it needs to start with the person. Yes. So I need to examine my own biases. I need to examine where I am and what things I could do differently. And then yes. I'm able to look at, at situations, cases, scenarios, all that in a different light. Exactly. Rather than me saying, here's what you should do when you meet an Asian person. Like, right. Even in these categories that we're given, Asian, how diverse is this group? Right. <laughs> you know, exactly. So I'm just going to give you, you know, here's the formula for talking to, you know, that doesn't even make sense. At but all. a lot of the programs are structured in that way that, oh, well, yes. if you're dealing with this. And a lot of times the questions that come from our students even are seeking that type of information. You yes. know, my students will ask a question like, well, 
what should I say to a person who, you know, like, let's back up and figure out how do we engage with a person who maybe has different views or different values or different perspectives on life than you do. Exactly. That's more the issue. Um, So I'm with you. I I don't get into like, here's what you say to this population or do with this population. And unfortunately, there are textbooks out there like that. So I think it's weird. Somebody picked it up and then just try to outline that course based on the way that book has been organized. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah, don't get me started on that. Had to do a petition on a book not too long ago. So we're not going to go there. But (laughs) that's huge right there, just because there's no way for any course to cover all of the types of people that you will meet. I can't even cover all the people you're going to meet in a week. Yes. <laughs> and it's so interesting because, and it's, um, I think there was, um, I don't know if we talked about this last time, but you know, like do professors, parents, microaggressions from students and so forth. But I found it interesting before summer started and students were registering for classes. I can't tell you how many emails I had gotten from students or people stopped by students up in my office said, so Dr. Davis, I'm thinking about taking multicultural. So, so tell me more about, I mean, what is your class about? Tell me more about it. What else? I mean, so what? And they're not asking about, you know, the workload. They're not asking me, how, you know, are there papers I'm writing? You know, with there certain exams? And it was more so like, so what? What is it about? How uncomfortable like, am I about to be? Yes, I said. But I said well, let me ask you this: <laughs> Did you ask Doctor So and So about her pop culture class? Did you pose this question to her? And they give me this look, like, mm-hmm. and I said you're afraid, aren't you? <laughs> mm-hmm. I said, mm-hmm. well, yeah, we're going to talk about some issues that are not comfortable. So yes. Yeah. Um, I said, but I think if you look at the course catalog and what's on our website, it's very clear what my class is about. Very mm-hmm. evident. But out of all the professors, I have yeah. to explain to them. I've got to make what them comfortable. Do. Exactly. Because yes. they're trying to put their toe in the water to see, yes. is this safe over here? Yes. No, we're going to talk about stuff and it's going to be uncomfortable. And I got it. Even in the feedback that we get, I think there are plenty of microaggressions in that as well when you get student feedback. But um, mine was that I started the class with them exploring implicit biases and whomever this was felt that that was divisive. And I'm like, okay, well, welcome to the class. And this (laughs) (laughs) next week we're talking about, yeah, (laughs) because I don't remember running it by you. Right. I was going to go ahead and do professor part and you do exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, but I think that even that, yeah, like, well, I don't like the way that you're presenting this, or I don't like the way that you're talking about this topic, or I was uncomfortable. And at times, even it turned into if you don't agree with, you know, what I'm saying, then therefore, it's right. wrong. And I'm like, no, if what you're saying is racist, or <laughs> right. homophobic, yeah. or something to that effect, I, then that's a problem. That's exactly, weird. exactly. Yeah. And at times, I even call students out, I'm like, don't tell me what you think I want to hear, because then they try to give you those cliches as a look. Mm-hmm. I said, no, no, ma'am. Yeah. I need deeper thought than this. No. (laughs) Exactly. So yeah, there's definitely microaggressions that go both ways in that, particularly for faculty of color, which was part of what we presented on together um, with Dr. Yolanda Holt. So final question, do you have any advice or final thoughts for audience regarding microaggressions as they relate to our topic, our cultural linguistic diversity? Well, I think honestly, our next step really is to figure out, you know, going beyond um, the, I was reading an article recently and I wrote it down. Oh my goodness. I think I might just have it here. I got all these papers by Ellis and Kendall that was in the AGSLP. They talked about really going beyond just diversity, equity, inclusion. I think we really are getting a handle, but I think now we really, really have to be a bit more vigilant about what to do when we do these studies and we're asking students, we're asking colleagues about the experience, but now 
what do they need or what do they think? Really trying to create strategies and some type of programming that we can implement and try and start training to at least increase the comfort level to challenge. Like you're saying, really training and getting a hold of those that are committing the microaggression. So as we stated, students are in a position, even me as a junior faculty, I mean, I'm so sure I'm trying to get this tenure. So (laughs) it's a unique situation, but dealing with my program director or department chair and for them having function in a bubble so long, we really need to get them to understand how to respond when someone expresses that you just microaggress me, (laughs) you committed Mm -hmm. a microaggression and how can we talk about this? So I think now our next step is really, really trying to figure out what are the responses? How do we do this? How can we measure this? Or how can we, if we if we are going to do particular training or talk about this, how can we make this high quality professional development in which is ongoing and not this one shot thing where, like you said, checklists and yeah, the one it. and done. And yeah, the one and done. And so that's the thing. And I know it's not easy. It's not. There are days where you just don't feel like being bothered with this. You just kind of want to go through your day, but just, you know, in the position that I'm in, in this, in this part of my career. And I think for many of us and for these upcoming SLPs and audiologists, we really, we have to address this and figure out a way to dismantle these microaggressions, because if we're going to diversify this field, first recruit, we got to keep our students and yeah. <laughs> we can't keep And the them. faculty. And, and the, the faculty. faculty. <laughs> exactly. It's just, we're, we're going to be at a loss here. And so I think that's something that we really got to start thinking hard about. You know, it's one thing to get grants and provide scholarships, but once we get those students there or faculty there, we really got to figure out what are the effective tools that can help them combat microaggressions and how can we effectively educate those individuals that are in the position and like with microaggressions, they often do not know that they're doing it, educate them and we can work on some way, somehow really trying to dismantle this, this individually and, and systemically. Yeah. We got to get past, like you said, past the DEI. Level. Yeah. Yeah. Cause everybody's got a certificate now. Stuff. Like I want a DEI training. Here you yeah, go. Let like, me put on my CV. <laughs> or what are we doing with it? Yeah. Not you sure. know, <laughs> what are we doing with it? I'm not even but sure yeah. what, what happens. I, I actually had logged on a couple times, but let me jump on this. And it's like, okay, so what would this look like exactly? <laughs> program? Yeah. Who do I connect with? You know, and I think if there's any diversity centers or resources on, on campuses or whether in the, in the workplace, we got to yeah. collaborate and find a way to work together and put together a real feasible action yeah. plan. Let me just toss that shameless plug out there. Our sponsor React Initiative. Inc. Yes. <laughs> we do that type of training. We do support, you know, organizations, individuals, et cetera, through this type of training and not simply the check the box friendly kind. Yeah. So yeah, look, I'm telling you, I, I, um, I was actually working on a grant and I actually, I was plugging you in there. I was telling my, my oh. um, director, but I said, I have a wonderful expert that I, I think I can <laughs> that can yeah, help we can us. have some yes. fun and then and get some actual work done too so yes all yes. good but yeah but I thank you once again for one your patience <laughs> for doing this again no, when the sound you. was not tight and hopefully the sound is better but thank you so much again for being a guest I'm just honored that you would be here and I appreciate you and definitely loved your support when we were at Imago. So thank you. (laughs) We had so much fun. I was like, oh my God, this is great. It was a good time. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. 
Thank you for tuning in to The Culture We Speak. Special thanks to our guest, Dr. Karen Davis, to Taja Sparkman for the original lyrics to our theme music, and to our sponsor, React Initiative, Inc. In the next episode, I discuss social justice with Miss Simone Rustcamp of Healing Justice Santa Barbara. Visit theculturewespeak.com and subscribe for updates. Join our Facebook group for additional resources and content.